Hi guys, welcome to the Black Nature Narratives podcast. I'm Beth. In this episode, I'm joined by Destiny Hodges and Audriana Ellis, students at Howard University and leaders within the environmental justice movement. Listen in to hear what studying at an HBCU means to them, their sense of responsibility to the community in DC, their thoughts on the idea of environmentalism as a white endeavour, and their hopes for careers within the environmental field. We were speaking together during a break at a Smithsonian conference for women environmental leaders. So I'm really happy to be here today with uh, two students at Howard University, Audriana Ellis and Destiny Hodges. It's exciting for many reasons. You're both uh, involved with a really interesting study uh, at a historically black university, uh, but particularly you both have a focus around environmental justice, which isn't a programme available in uh, UK universities. So I was really interested to hear a bit more about what you are studying, and then we'll look at what's drawn you to that that subject area. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm an environmental studies major, political science minor, and um, really want to look at the environmental policy within our system today. Uh, I'm drawn to environmental justice because there are so many disparities within the black and brown communities that we see, and um, the system really needs to be changed in order for things to have an effect on our community. We see um, a lot of changes now that we weren't able to see you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, but there's still a lot that we can um, do to help our community. So that's yeah. why I want to be in this field. Great. That's Adriana. Thank you. Um, so I'm in the School of Communications at Howard, and I have an inter- interdisciplinary major. I started out with an environmental studies minor. Um, but So I kind of compiled together film, journalism, African-American studies, sociology, and environmental studies to sustain and create, um, to help with my mission of using media as a form of narrative organizing for communities that are impacted by um, environmental inequity. And I think the main thing about that and what draw, what draw drew me to it was that um, communities of color oftentimes aren't at the table to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a place for them. And so oftentimes, you know, the environmental movement is historically led by white men. And so oftentimes you're in these spaces where there's all these organizations, there's all these people who are speaking for communities of colors and they're not a person of color. So I think it's very important to uplift, uplift their stories mm-hmm. and to showcase the work that they're doing. Because one thing that's also not addressed and is neglected is that they're on the ground doing work in their communities and there are practices and things that we can learn from them rather than just coming in with like, this is how we're gonna do it. Look at what the community already has and adapt to them. and use their needs yeah yeah it's really powerful that uh wanting to give community voice which Mm -hmm. which isn't already there when i studied my first degree in anthropology it's about 25 years ago now i was the only black student in a lecture of 300 people and a couple of weeks ago i went to an anthropology conference um a lecture theatre, again, about 300 people. There were a handful of people of colour there, but it just made me reflect in 25 years you know, how much has changed mm-hmm. and the fact that you're at an HBCU. Um, what does that give you to learn in an environment like Howard? 
Um, being at an HBCU, yeah, I've been saying here recently that HBCUs are populated with mostly people from communities of low income, mm-hmm. and it's low income communities that are impacted first and the worst by environmental inequity. So we have a right to the knowledge of knowing how we're being impacted and how we can change and share that with other people in our community. So I say that being at Howard and having an environmental studies program, it opens up a forum of discussion for things that are going on in our community, whether and at Howard there's so People think an HBCU is just black people. It's not diverse. But Howard is one of the most diverse universities there is. People from all over the world. Yes, we're mostly black, but there's different types of black. There is African. You have people from the Caribbean. You have people from the UK. You have people from everywhere. And so for us to sit and talk about what's going on across the diaspora Mm -hmm. and how we can solve that has been one of the most amazing things to sit and be a part of. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I think amazing thing um, being on campus and studying is that like I've seen all these things happen whether it's in my community or not in my community but understanding how and why it's gotten to be this way you know it's in our system and I like it's just mind-blowing when I my freshman year in my environmental inequality class it's like realizing wow like this is all set up mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so working within the system to fix it yeah yeah so being in um, being in DC mm-hmm. literally anything going on in EJ yeah. you see right here on the mm-hmm. Anacostia right here and mm-hmm. so being in that community and being able to see firsthand what's going on, being able to look up all the data that they've collected. They've done a really good job in D.C., I'm not really sure who to credit that to, but of collecting data on the disparities within this region, and then you can compare that to what's going on elsewhere, and you see the links and the connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds very immediate, the experience, the Mm -hmm. direct experience Mm -hmm. of the real world, as well as the academic Mm -hmm. grounding of of what you're studying. Mm Do you want to give a few examples of what is happening in, in D.C. And, and perhaps how you'd like to be involved? Um, yes, so I think Howard could definitely do um, more with being engaged in the community. Um, so here in D.C. there's the Anacostia, which is a river um, that also feeds into, it's a watershed for a large amount of D.C. And here in D.C. we have wards rather than like districts and normal states and communities. Um, and so within those wards, there's eight in DC yeah. and Ward seven and eight are on the Anacostia and most it's mostly an African American population. And so there's a lot of gentrification going on in DC and so you see one side of the river is developed and the other side of the river, thankfully they've turned into a park. Right. Um, and so there's within the way it comes, there's like Maryland. Uh, the DMV, so that's the District of Columbia, Virginia, and Maryland, and it's all right here. And for the most part, we share the same watershed. So everything that's in, like, the University of Maryland's at the top. You'll find University of Maryland cups at the bottom of the Anacostia before it feeds into, uh, what is that, the Potomac? And that's in Ward 7 and 8. So mm-hmm. all of this trash, all of this pollution, everything uh-huh. is going right down the river to these communities of color who have historically been impacted by the same thing because that area is also... It was a key point of industrialization over the past couple of decades. So they just keep getting slammed and slammed and slammed. They've done a good job of cleaning it up, but this is something that's still happening. And so, like, how can we address that? How can we be engaged in the community, especially being Howard students? How can we make that connection? What can we do to help them out? Yeah. Yeah, and raising the knowledge within our community. I think especially 
on Howard's campus. So recently, the environmental studies major <laughs> was just established like three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so getting people on campus rallied and uh, really understanding what we can do to make a difference. Um, Destiny over here has really been in the forefront of uh, um, just recently within the last few weeks, making sure that we have students come together for the sustainability effort on campus. So like next week we're having a meeting with our Office of Sustainability to put this in place because as she is saying, you know, we're impacted the most mm -hmm. and just don't get anything in return. Um, so if we are able to lead um, leaders within yeah. our HBCU, then we are able to also help our community and those that are east, uh, west of the river, you know, and Anacostia. Incredible. Yeah. As Audrey was saying, um, touching on like being, leading the leaders, um, as a leading HBCU, the number one HBCU, <laughs> you know, um, we have the ability to educate the leaders in terms mm -hmm. of environmentalism because we put some of the world's best doctors, lawyers, mm -hmm. people out into the world that are black leaders in that field. So why not do the same with environmentalism when we can be at the tables right there speaking yeah. for our community mm -hmm. and making change firsthand? That opportunity to influence your peers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Especially being in D.C. with opportunities like this right now at the Wells Summit, you know, meeting all these elders who are in the environmental community, you know, having that opportunity to pipeline that mm -hmm. directly back mm -hmm. to D.C. Where would you like to go on your leadership journey, so beyond Howard and, and graduation? Right now, that's very <laughs> wishy-washy. Um, I don't really know exactly. I, like I said before, I um, interested in environmental policy, so going into law school possibly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out where exactly I want to have an end goal. I'm interested in agriculture, um, food, urban agriculture, so that might be a possibility. But right now, I'm just trying to. Um, find different opportunities to meet new people, network, so I can really go from there, like after graduation. Exciting that, that there's a range of opportunities. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really 100% know either. Um, I know for sure um, that I want to use media as a form of narrative organizing, so it's always in my dream since I was the kid who watched National Geographic and Animal Planet every day, <laughs> so much so my mom had to ban me from watching Whale Wars because I got too emotionally attached. Um, <laughs> I always knew that I wanted to tell stories. Mm -hmm. That is a gift, that is a passion that I have. So um, whether that's traveling the world and covering what's going on in communities mm -hmm. and how they're being affected by climate change, uh, environmental justice, um, whether that's working for an organization that wants me to do that for them mm -hmm. or doing my own work. I'm interested in starting a nonprofit here recently to uplift young black environmental leaders and to bridge a network between us um, because I think that's so important, like being here today um, with other women and especially with women of color, mm. the network and the power that we have being in the room together and where we can put each other and support each other. Um, so that's what I want to do. Yeah. We're talking about this space and how special it is to gather as women, as women of colour, but how in the when we go back into the wider world, we're not visible. Um, mm. I don't see people that look like us. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, you're sort of a slightly younger generation than me, what you feel you might be able to contribute into to being more visible or helping uh, other women of colour be more visible in the field? Mm, I mean, social media really plays a large part in that, so... Um, through that broadcasting, you know, how this um, 
place, place of work is very important to us as a woman of color, what we can do to make an impact. I mean, in um, the larger universities, you like Duke, for example, is a large um, white university, and there are so many environmentalists there, and mostly white, so, mm -hmm. you know, broadcasting how this is important for us as well. It's not just like a white issue. Yeah. Right. Um, I agree with that exactly. I think oftentimes um, in the black community, environmentalism is seen as a white thing, mm -hmm. which makes sense based on the history and how we've been um, excluded and even still excluded today. Um, so I think it's kind of not necessarily changing the narrative of environmentalism, but making our narrative known. Yeah. So again, mm -hmm. uplifting voices and giving a space for voices to be heard. Um, yeah, because I think a lot of times in our generation, again, we see it as a white thing. It's like, well, what can I really do? Mm -hmm. But it's the lack of education there. Yeah. Um, so education is a really big part of saying, how does this relate to you? Let's attach it to something simple that's going on in your community that you might not think even connects to yeah. environmentalism. So whether that's like you live down the street from a power plant. Yeah. I mean, you don't think about how that affects the air quality while you might have asthma. And then I'm interested in doing a study on how there's a direct linkage between, um, environmental racism and police brutality mm. in the sense that you being a kid, you being exposed to all these pollutants and then you having health issues and psychologically the way you function. And mm. most people would think that black kids are bad kids. And it's like, well, no, what are we being exposed Stressed to in our kids. communities? Yeah. Exactly. Mm. And so how that affects your behavior in the classroom, how mm. that's policed and how you can end up in a prison pipeline. And mm. yeah, I think that's sort of, one of the most powerful things about if we call it a black uh, definition of environment of how it includes the immediate so it includes on the street it includes in the home it's our lived experience uh, it's where we work where we live um, that feels very different to sort of a white narrative about what the environment is which is perhaps a bit more pristine wildlife mm, um, right. and there's a sort of a privilege in that mm -hmm that it's describing a nature that's perhaps more about recreation and leisure mm -hmm. um, because there's a stronger sense of safety within their day-to-day -day life in the areas that they live. Yeah. Um, Akima spoke about that earlier when she gave that definition mm -hmm. of um, environment is defined as the living and non-living things that are in your uh, immediate surroundings. Mm -hmm. So who's to say crime can't be an environment? Yeah. Not everybody is subjected to that. Mm. People are disproportionately subjected to that and how, again, that gives you that comfort and that privilege of what you're exposed to and how you define your mm. environment and being aware of what is in other people's environments. Yeah, yeah. So if we talk a little bit about your environments growing up and, and what role nature played in your life. Mm. So when I was, I've lived in a few places. <laughs> so born in North Carolina, then I moved to England, my dad's in the military. Um, so when I lived there, really woods right on the other side of my house. And we should sort of pause to <laughs> reference that we met at this conference and discovered that we lived at different times of sort of a mile down the yeah, road. Yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> is <other>. crazy. <laughs> um, so yes, there's woods right in front of my house and me and my siblings, we'd be out there all the time, you know, running out in the woods. <laughs> um, then moving to, back to the US, um, there's still, you know, wooden area where I live now, but just not the direct access. You know, you have to go in the car and then go a little bit down the road, you know, to be able to access the um, nature directly. But I think I still have my fair share of being outdoors yeah. when I was younger. Yeah. 
Um, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. I know I don't have an accent. <laughs> um, and so I grew up uh, with my grandmother in like the deep backwoods part of Alabama. So me and my cousin, when it rained and there were puddles, we'd go slide through them um, and have the best time outdoors, really just listening to the quiet. Mm. I miss that, being mm. in D.C. I miss the quiet. Being able to see the stars, there's yeah. no light pollution. Wow. Um, but then also, I remember there, I started thinking about it more and more here recently. I'm like, well... What are some things in terms of like environmental um, racism that I experienced, like if any? And I was like, you know, I can't really think of any. And then I'm like, wait, there was a paper mill right down the road, and every time we drive by, the smell of the air. Mm. And I start thinking, well, hmm, how maybe was my family in, affected by that in terms mm. of health? Because mm. there's some health issues. Mm. Um, but so yeah, having that connection to environment in the sense that we were always outside because yeah. my grandmother was always outside um not everybody has that opportunity though mm. so that's why the ecological relationship is so important within um environment and even tracing that back historically in terms of african cultures and african civilizations how they always had a deep ecological relationship with their environment and yeah. that's why they were able to function in harmony that is why um they cared for their environment and actually lived sustainably mm. which i feel like that isn't brought up a lot but people live sustainably before we got into this whole world of capitalism and mass production um mm -hmm. but yeah that's what got me into yeah. it yeah and what do you enjoy now in terms of spending time in nature meditation lovely yeah. getting away from everything mm. honestly like you're saying how it's so peaceful so quiet like you can hear like so much even if there's like I feel like if there's less noise, you're hearing more still because yeah. you're looking out for the birds chirping and the crickets mm. and other aspects of nature. So I wish more people in our community had access to that to really experience how spiritual it is, you know, getting back down to earth, mother nature. Yeah, I can feel just in our conversation that sense of peacefulness, mm. relaxation coming in, which feels yeah. very different from the energy when we're talking about um, paper plants and the the pollution. And I think there often is, for people of colour, an experience of stress and struggle in terms of challenging things in their environment. Mm. Um, there's something that feels very powerful also about making sure spaces are opened up to be mm. relaxation, to mm. be meditative. You mentioned Akima before. It's worth us just name-checking Akima Price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, an amazing outdoor education consultant. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we'll look her up online. Mm -hmm. Thank you both so much for your time. Uh, yeah, it's really inspiring you. to hear about all the work that you're doing. Just one final closing comment. Um, in the UK, people do their A-levels about 17, 18. Mm -hmm. What message do you have to people that are currently studying, thinking about going on to university in terms of choices they're making? Mm. I think um, you don't have to know exactly what you're doing before going to college. Like I definitely stressed out uh, a lot <laughs> before going to university because I wasn't really sure at first what I wanted to do. I originally wanted to go into forensics, which is <laughs> totally different from what I'm doing now. Um, but if you are struggling, I would say look back on what you are passionate about, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So after I realized I didn't want to do forensic science anymore, I looked back and said, okay, what do I volunteer at the most? Well, like, what do I do the most? So it was linked to environmentalism, mm. so that's how I realized, okay, I think I should go on that path, take a few classes, see if that's something that 
I truly am passionate about, and here I am, and still in it. <laughs> Amazing, following your passion. Yeah, um, I'd say two things. Number one, um, definitely keep a sense of self. It's so easy to get lost in college and to get lost in trying to figure out who you are and seeing who other people are and maybe mm-hmm. wanting to attain that. Um, so self-care mm-hmm. is very important. Take a moment to relax. Take a moment to breathe, to meditate or do whatever works for you so that you can stay in touch with who you are. Um, the second thing is uh, someone gave me a really good piece of advice, and that was to find your mission statement mm-hmm. and the sense of your purpose. And so once you find that, it's so easy to move through everything else because you see your purpose in all of that. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything complicated or complex. It could be something simple, like whether you want to help and give back to the community that you're from. Or it could be something complex focusing on black mental health. That's very specific, but for some people, that's their mission statement. Thinking about what you're interested in, like you said, like where do you spend your time most? What calls you? What's your purpose? What are you meant to do? Who do you want to help? How do you want to do it? Um, and once you figure that out, it's very easy to pitch yourself because oftentimes as college students, we're in the positions where we have to pitch ourselves, yeah. um, whether that's with business, networking, other professors. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you're able to gather that, and that's not something that comes immediately, it can happen over, it'll probably be junior year, senior year, maybe even after you graduate before you figure it out. Mm-hmm. But once you figure that out, life is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And one more thing, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I just want to say, um, jobs are not the end goal. You need to look for opportunities. Mm-hmm. When you look for these opportunities to put yourself in new situations, then you'll find what you're going to do after university or maybe a few years after university. Just put yourself out there, network, do different things, and then you're going to find it. Amazing advice. Thanks so much for your time, Adriana, Destiny. Really looking forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Black Nature Narratives. Check back soon for new episodes. If you're in the UK and want to be part of a community of people of colour gathering in nature in real life, sign up to wildinacity.org.uk for updates, events and membership. To support this podcast, visit our Patreon page or the link below.